0: was it worth me spending $45,000 to get the unit because it was a very distressed unit, ready for them to rent based on the rent that they were offering and it wasn't. Are you a real estate investor looking to sharpen your skills or a newbie looking to become one? You're in the right place. Welcome to Where Should I Invest? Real Estate Investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larby.
1: Hey everybody, it is Sarah Larby and welcome back to another episode of Where Should I Invest. Today's guest Tyler Soulier was born and raised in Windsor, Ontario where he actually still invests there. So all of his investments are in Windsor and so we talked a little bit about that. And Tyler has currently over 50 units and they range from small multifamily, large multifamily, single families and he's done some burrs, some flips so we talk about the different strategies and lots of great insights. Tyler has a lot of amazing knowledge. We talk about some of the terms that are important to know as well if you're a newbie or more advanced, but just also some terms that you're going to hear such as cash on cash return, cap rates, etc. And then we also talk about organizing for tax time. Depending when you're listening to this, you may be doing your taxes in the next little while. So Tyler is a great resource, lots of amazing knowledge he's won the investor of the year 2015 crew magazine investor of the year award he started investing because he was a realtor for a year and was helping different investors with buying and selling and decided to get into the game himself which is super awesome his first purchase was a forty eight thousand dollar fixer upper in windsor And since then, in the last next 11 months after that, purchased 14 properties. That's why he got the award for the Crew Magazine Investor of the Year. 14 properties in 11 months. It's pretty awesome. So we're going to get right into it. So if you guys have any questions, you will have the information to reach out to Tyler. And looking forward to meeting you guys, hopefully at one of the Right Club events, or feel free to send me an email. All right. So today we've got Tyler, who is a investor from Windsor, Ontario, joining us. And Tyler is really well-known investor out in Windsor, does a lot of deals, a lot of transactions. Hi, Tyler. How are you?
0: We are doing very good today, Sarah. How are you today?
1: Very good. Very good. So Windsor, I want to ask you a little bit about Windsor before we get started. You are born and raised in Windsor and how's the market out there?
0: Yeah, born and raised. I did live in Toronto, right downtown for a year well, 2012. So that was an eye opener. But coming back to Windsor, that was a great experience for me and the right decision to start investing because investing is always about knowing about your market, right? So that's why I started buying here versus buying in Toronto and it's affordable. Back in 2013, when I started investing, Very affordable, and today it is still probably one of the most lowest average prices cities across Mm -hmm. Canada. So right now, you're still seeing very good properties hit the market with with still cash on cash returns, which is what every investor always wants, right? They always want the money in their pocket when they're buying properties. So that's still an opportunity here in Windsor, whether you're buying residential, commercial, multi-units, now, if you're buying something probably brand new, you get a little less cash flow. But in terms of Windsor in general, as a, as a market, we're just seeing probably in the last two years, and everyone probably listening to this podcast has probably seen in the news how the appreciation has just been going up and up. I think I just saw today was like 13% year over year last year for Windsor, one of the top two, along with Kingston.
1: Yeah, so, that's right. um, it is.
0: Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to see that. And and honestly, in the last two years, everyone's kind of just loving their values of their homes, their properties go up. I mean, I think since I've invested, they've doubled, but just in the last two years, it's just really grown. And now we're just seeing development uh, commercially as well. So usually when you see these big companies, and and I've touched on on some of the blogs and videos I've done, like Lowe's or Starbucks, they've done their research, right? So they've already basically if you can mimic those companies and see where those companies are going it's a good sign of where you're thinking of investing so that's what you're seeing in Windsor and I think it's kind of opening up the eyes of a lot of other investors and it's great for me to already have been here from the start not the start but before all this and really see the values go up so that's what I'm liking, and then you have all this new development coming up, the bridge, possibly two bridges. Not sure if you've heard about that yet, Sarah.
1: Was the, so explain what the bridge, is that the bridge towards the U.S.?
0: Correct. So right next to Windsor, Ontario, if anyone's familiar, listening, or isn't familiar, we are a water river away, Detroit River, from Detroit. So Detroit is just on the other side of the United States. And right now there's a bridge and a tunnel that connect the, the two countries, really, right? So with with so much traffic going over these this bridge and through the tunnel, they've actually building now the Gordie Howe bridge and it's been uh, it's approved it's already the development has already been started years ago by Windsor and on the US side they're just finishing up and I think they're going to be putting in they're saying 2024 is when it'll be completed so a lot of investors, I just talked to a guy the other day who's like, I'm buying up condos in LaSalle, so that's literally right kind of where the bridge is is going to be, like five minutes away. It's a little town outside of Windsor, and they're all buying up these pretty expensive condos, which to see these prices in Windsor for a new condo, maybe a 1,000 square foot, is 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 crazy to me, but to other people, knowing that there's going to be thousands of jobs coming down just to build this one bridge, they're they're looking at that as potential of like, okay, like I know I'm going to be able to rent my place out to these high these professionals coming down here to work, right? So that's one of the bridges. The other one is they're thinking of replacing the current bridge, and that's Manny Maroon, who owns tons of businesses. And if anyone's listening, they might have heard that name. I don't know too much about it, but you you those are big, huge infrastructure projects another good sign when you're looking to invest in a market right
1: so what happens when these bridges are done there are other options and opportunities so like let's just say i buy a condo that's great the bridges are done right what else afterwards
0: well i think like any big infrastructure project you're going to see people leave after 2 or 3 years right but you're hoping i don't know if there's a statistic out there 20 maybe half the people stay because they see nice it is right so a lot of people that come down here right now a lot of retirees right they're just they're selling in the gta or or vancouver because they just they're just cashing out and they're moving here when i was selling real estate we're not selling as a realtor anymore but i we waterfront properties for these people in their 60s they're just like right they're just can't believe how much house they get and they're coming from all over the GTA, right? So it's maybe that what's going to happen with these people once the bridges are done, right? Well,
1: there's a, there's a Western, there's a school out there, right? Is it Western?
0: No. The not University Western. of Windsor is is a big school, and they're constantly expanding. So they're kind of piggybacking off what London has done with putting campuses downtown, as well as I believe I don't know much about Kitchener-Waterloo, but I know more London has done that model, and Windsor's following suit with moving their some campuses downtown Windsor where to kind of build up that area. Right. So, cause Windsor's downtown is a little depressed right now. So that's kind of a move Windsor's trying to push for that school because the school gets a lot of international students and these international students are coming here to Windsor. And if anyone likes to invest in student rentals, I'm not a big fan there is always a need for nice student rentals because there are not very many. Let's put it that way.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's kind of in a way what I did with Brantford. Brantford has other industry businesses, but Laurier University campus grew and it's still growing. And what, I don't invest in student rentals, but what happens is that three, four, five bedroom houses become a huge need for larger families because there's right. lack of supply. And so there's higher demand and I can actually, get a property with a few extra bedrooms and the rents difference is a lot better. So I think that could be an opportunity down the road. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that's good insight about Windsor. Let's let's talk about you a little bit. And okay. what kind of real estate investing are you doing? What's your strategy?
0: So really, I just started with, like everyone, I fix some flips. So everyone wants to buy and make a quick buck. And the story kind of goes, a friend said, start investing for your future. Think about that when you're 29 when I started. It was more just to have some extra funds. So really it was just by chance just starting to buy properties. And I didn't even know what a refinance was when I started buying these properties. Right. And Someone mentioned it and I looked into it and I said, well, I didn't know you could do that. So that's kind of how I started growing my portfolio was really just buying properties to to refinance them in the beginning. And that, that BRR model is just has been very, very good for me because... I would buy more distressed properties. Just needed more cosmetic. I, I didn't want to get into anything where you had to go down to the studs or, or, or really do the major renovations like, like a roof or, or windows. Now, some properties, yeah, you, you would need to do one of those or, or two of those. But you try to stay away from the big ticket items, right? Like the furnaces, electrical plumbing, windows, review. you there, Sarah. <laughs> yeah.
1: No, but you know what? It's, it's good to talk about it because that goes into your numbers and your calculations. And right. you know, when I look at something, and like, there's certain things I will do. And then there's certain things that I don't even want to bother touching just because exactly like they're huge costs and huge the price that you're going to be able to buy it for may not always make sense when you factor in your all your costs and then the ARV as well. So you're essentially, you're flipping and you're holding. So you're doing the burr.
0: Correct. Yeah, that's what I was, that's kind of how I built up my portfolio and and just go back to that point with those big ticket items. Those are, they had zero value really in seller's eye, right? Even almost in an appraiser's eye too, right? I don't know what it is, but especially buyers, they want to see modern, nice new home, right? Especially if you're updating it. But when you're fixing... What's that? The
1: kitchen, the bathroom, some floor and paint. (laughs) Exactly.
0: So when you're fixing, like you said, the big ticket items, people don't see that. I had to do repair foundation once. Five thousand dollars. No one sees that value, right? You can't ask an extra five grand when you're when you're going to sell it, right? So so those are kind of things that you're you're looking at when you're buying distressed properties. You try to stay away from those because they're not gonna add too much to your your market value in the end, right? Whether you're being refinanced or you're trying to sell it. So that's kind of how I build my portfolio. Like in the beginning, but again, obviously the banks, they only lend so much. So the way I got to buy more properties was really just bringing on joint venture partners. That always was a good way to help buy other properties. So I, I think the first one I did was 21 unit and I used a partner, I used a private lender, and then I used a vendor take back. So it was necessarily, or it was basically zero money down. Now that was also Four years ago, so to find that opportunity is, is would be a little difficult today. But that that was the opportunity presented to me at the time, and it, you know I, it was something I took advantage of, and it, I still own that property today, right?
1: So this was the first one that you did after. I mean, I guess with the JV or just the first one in general.
0: That was the first partnership I've really ever I did versus I think in the beginning it was just buying flipping buying or and refinancing and then that was that's that's a big it was a it was a big expensive property i think it was about 700 grand so that's deep pockets right so even though we went no money down we had about two hundred thousand dollars almost in rentals that we needed to do so that was kind of where my capital was going to do the renovations to then refinance it where should i invest with your host sarah larvey we'll be right back
1: Hey guys, I just wanted to take a quick moment and pause the podcast interview here because I wanted to introduce you to Dahlia Barsoom of Streetwise Mortgages. I am a big believer, as you guys probably have heard, work with a mortgage broker. They are going to help you scale. And when I was first growing in real estate investing and looking to buy my second property and my third property, I was going directly to the bank then. I hadn't met Dahlia yet and i actually was hitting a roadblock when it came to financing because the bank started asking me for 25 percent as the down payment and then for my third property they wanted 35 percent and it was really really hard for me to a understand why it was creeping up like that and b i didn't have 35 percent to put down i had 20 percent And luckily, I actually met Dahlia at that point in time, and Dahlia is actually an investor herself, and she works with many, many investors, and she knows all the pitfalls and the barriers that normally come up with dealing directly with a bank and all the different lenders, and Dahlia was actually able to not just find me proper alternatives... But I've got nine properties now and I'm still able to get financing with A-lenders and it allows me to be able to scale up without hitting the financing wall. And so she's been a tremendous help. So the other thing I really, really enjoy is Dahlia also does a free goals analysis. So if you go to either my website or her website, streetwisemortgages.com, mention the podcast and ask for the free goals analysis. It was a game changer for me and it allowed me to actually understand what I needed to do, how many properties I was gonna get because of the cash flow that I was looking for. If you guys wanted to reach out to Dahlia, you can reach out to her by email, which is info at streetwisemortgages.com, or you can actually reach out to her on the website at streetwisemortgages.com, and then just go to the contact section, and you can also call her at 1-800-208 six, two, five, five. Thanks for listening. And back to the show.
0: Back to the show. Where should I invest real estate investing in Canada with your host, Sarah Larvey.
1: Okay. So people are probably wondering how did you come across this property, this deal? Because a lot of us, myself included, are always looking for those deals and of course they don't hit MLS <laughs> no, this, I mean I don't know maybe in Windsor and potentially it's different but a lot of them these days like you have to you know
0: right
1: people ahead of time
0: <laughs> yeah that's I, I know I should be talking about the past because that that was a weird that was back when Windsor was very depressed investors were very shy okay. uh, I would first property I ever bought no one would buy it I was trying to sell it as a realtor and no one would buy it so I bought it they just didn't see the value upon fixing up a property, they just don't want to take on the risk. So nice. for today to find a deal like that in Windsor, maybe not Okay. Maybe not so it. much. And that's yeah.
1: how you got started, which is good. So, so what does your portfolio today consist of? I mean, how many properties units? I th-
0: there's about 55 doors and it kind of ranges from single family homes. I have about three duplexes. I have two mixed uses. One's an eight unit with, so six residential, two commercial. The other one is... 20 units with a commercial on the main so another mix and then i have a third mixed uh mixed use with three commercial and two residential so my math is correct i think it's about 55 i, I always create the land, which over like 12 or 13 properties i think yeah okay all right
1: good and they're all in windsor <laughs> they
0: are all in windsor i've like everyone else you get excited when you read the news and you see these markets and i've looked into london i've looked in the cambridge and Kitchener and I, you know you get excited because the markets appreciate so much there so and back in a couple of years with Windsor wasn't appreciated at all so you look but I just I know Windsor I have a team here I have people I can trust I can go there in like 20 minutes to all my properties I don't have to drive far that's kind mm-hmm. of what I like.
1: And you said, you said one thing that I preach and I am a big believer on is you've got your team set up, right? I mean, you've yeah. got your handyman, you've got your plumber, your electrician, et cetera, et cetera. It's just so much easier to work with the same team, especially when you're scaling, because literally just saying, Hey, like it, it becomes a little bit more hands-off in the sense that you trust them. They just go to the properties. They send you the bills, you pay the bills online. Like it becomes a lot easier than having a property in 10 different towns where you need 10 different Great. And then you've got to replace one person and one, it's just so much easier. And so thank you for mentioning the, the team piece, because regardless of appreciation or non appreciation in Windsor, it's still a very good cash flowing market, but you've got your team. And I think that's important.
0: Yeah. It's, it's like you said, hands off is kind of why I started investing in the first place was I, I didn't want to be involved with it. So building the team, it takes time finding people that you trust, but once it's in place, you've got good people. I work from home and emails and phone. That's all you really need, right? They handle all the headaches. its I love it.
1: <laughs> yeah, sometimes I get asked, like, do you ever like get like calls where you have to like go out to Brantford and really at the end of the day, like, we don't have to do any of that, right? I no. mean, it, it's coordination and uh, delegation.
0: <laughs> exactly right. Yeah, it, it's you're notified and that's it. I think I was beginning of December. I was in Vail, Colorado skiing, and I got my property manager. Yeah, this is what's going on in your property. We've already sent someone to fix it. Just let you know. I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah, Exactly,
1: right? Exactly.
0: So, so well, quick I know a lot of people I met, you know, who invest, they, they want to manage their properties, right? They don't want to pay someone. And I just converted a good friend of mine who had a property for about a year who was managing it himself, and I said, honestly, you're going to pay 9% whatever your market to a property manager or one my other manager I pay $50 a door. Your time is worth way more than 50 bucks right? Like a month, let's say, or whatever, $100. So I found just one phone call is, it's worth, it's going to be more expensive than paying a product manager. So it's kind of one of those things, like what's your time worth? And in the long run, I I found, yeah, definitely just pay someone else to handle that so you can focus on other things, right? Or just
1: have free time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I'm a proponent of, and I'm going to agree to disagree. Okay. I, I will tell you why. I'm a big proponent of learning it. And when I look at the properties I have, I don't have as many as you. I've got nine, and it takes me two to three hours a month to do. And I think it the difference is I have a team, and it really is delegating. Okay. And but at some point, when you've got 55 plus units and you've got multifamily properties, the calls you don't want are tenants complaining about one another. Like there's other types yeah. of things, and so I think it depends. Personally, I think it depends what kind of property you have, what kind of portfolio you've got. If you're into the the multifamilies, which you are I definitely would recommend that you manage the property manager. But for me, if you enjoy self if you, I enjoy managing as an example. Okay. Good, good. <laughs> so so I'm proponent that you do it at some point. I'm gonna pass the whole portfolio over to somebody, but Right. Uh, and less like if, if you have like systems and processes and procedures and you don't don't mind doing it and you'll get a call here and there, I'm okay with doing it. But again, I understand that there's two, uh, two sides of that, that story and, and two points of view. And there's a lot of people that say, I don't even want a single call because it would stress and it would take me a, a ton of time to, to worry about it, etc. So I get yeah. your point of view as well.
0: Yeah. And to go on to that point. Yeah, I gave mine off, I think around five properties. Right, uh, that's enough. Yeah. Like, or you yeah. know, so you're right. It is good to learn it. I, I agree. Yeah, it's good to like at least know what what's going on. So,
1: <laughs> absolutely. So, one of the things I really liked is you had some videos on YouTube about talking about the different real estate terms and those are to me they're so important like understanding what noi means or cocr or cap rates or there's a lot of terms that are just thrown whether it's in discussions with other investors or podcasts and I was hoping that we can briefly touch on some of the ones that you think are the most important for sure. a new to new investors to be aware of.
0: Yeah, I mean, yeah, as a new investor, I remember the first time someone actually for the first year when people mentioned cap rate, I had no idea what that meant, how it was calculated and people were just fired off. And I'm like, what, what does that mean? So you can look at the calculation, how it's calculated, but really it's. I learned was it's dependent on your market, right? you have to know your market and what the cap rate is for that market. So that took me a while to really get it when another investor would be like, yeah, I want at least an eight cap. And I'm like, well, how, like where did you get that number from? So basically what the cap rate is, is it's your return on investment. If you were to buy the whole property cash, right? That's the simplest way to, to put it. So that's when people would sell eight or nine. And when I bought, when I started buying in Windsor, people wanted like 10, 11, 12, because, the risk was so high here, right? There is zero appreciation, so they wanted a higher return based on the risk they're putting in. Now it's a seven, let's say, on average across Windsor. But it's going to depend on the type of property, where the property is, right? Like if it's a brand new property, it's going to have a lower cap rate, right? So you're just going to say, like I said, it's it's your return if you bought it cash. Some people may want just 5%. They'll be happy with that, right? Hey, I will also, I'll invest $100,000 if I get a 5 cap, 5% return on my money, right? Mm-hmm. The simplest way, I think, to describe what a cap rate would really be.
1: And so what calculation, like if somebody wants to figure out how much a cap rate is on a certain property... What calculation should they plug in
0: like just in general which one to use the best and mine still is the cash on cash returns so that one's almost the same as a cap rate only it helps more look at it if you're you know, most people are going to be financing a property right you're not going to pay cash to buy a property so that really kind of looks at you're going to put twenty thousand dollars and the property is going to make so much thousand dollars a month over a year so that's twelve thousand dollars a year what's that cash on cash return right so you're you're just going to take the best of 20 grand, and I think it's divided by your your income, right, to get your your cash and cash return. So that's kind of really like a. That's Apple's kind of comparison of how or where you're going to invest your money, right? So are you going to put it in stocks or mutual funds? What kind of return are you going to get that you're actually going to see, right? So that's the one, yeah, calculation that I really like.
1: Yeah, so, and I would say in terms of cap rate, just to circle back, depending on the market. So like if you're in a market that is a little riskier or really outside of the main cities, like if you go to Toronto and you're like, I want a seven cap or an eight cap, they're going to laugh at you. They're going to be like, Yeah. yeah maybe 20 <laughs> years ago, but because now three, four is decent. Oh my that. gosh. <laughs> but you go to Windsor, you go to Thunder Bay, numbers are, are different. And the other thing I would say is when it comes to cash on cash return, if you refinanced that and you're using the bank's money, right. that is like unlimited and infinity percentage of return.
0: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you're not using your
1: own money once you refinance.
0: Yeah, that's exactly it, right? It's like, how much money did you pull out on your refinance? Did you pull it all out? Then your infinity, if you maybe you still have a couple grand tied up in it, which most of the times, yeah, I still have a couple grand tied up after I refinance the property. But then when you looked at on your cash on cash return, you had 100% return, because there's only so much money tied up. And hopefully, you're still cash flow positive, even if you have a higher mortgage now, right? So that's something that I looked at when I was refinancing, like can I still get cash flow positive, get higher rents when I refinance because then it wouldn't be worth it, right? If I'm gonna refinance my mortgage me a thousand but I can only eight hundred dollars in rent. I'm I'm walking away, right? There's it's just not there. So that's something to consider too, right? You don't I don't like to invest negative cash flow, but unless your property will appreciate like like in a market like in the GTA, right? You you hope you're gonna get that appreciation. So
1: Yeah personally you know that I don't care about a lot of cash flow, but my properties need to cash flow regardless. I mean, for me to pay for a tenant to live in one of my properties doesn't make sense to me. And I know that there are people that yeah. will say, I will take the appreciation, but I'm actually pretty risk averse. Okay. That's good. When <laughs> I invest and I'm like, this cash flows and I get the mortgage pay down and then I get some appreciation because I look yep. over the past 10 years. I'm like, why would I not invest in that property versus... I don't know, a six, seven hundred thousand dollar condo that I'm gonna to have to pay out of Ugh. pocket. For me, it's not worth it where I am in trying to replace my income because there's different ways why people would want to invest. And so for me, it's income replacement. Right. And in order to do that, I need the cash flow and it doesn't have to be thousands of dollars per property, but a little bit here, a little bit there, it adds up. And then over time as your tenants switch out, move out, you bring new ones, you bump up the rents, your mortgage gets paid down, et cetera, like you are doing well.
0: Yeah, that's exactly, yeah, my thought too was income replacement. So that's why I always invested in try to cash flow properties. So.
1: So what other terms should a new or more experienced investors know other than the cash on cash return and cap rate?
0: I mean, return on investment is always something I still like to look at to really kind of compare to any other investment, it's just a little more detailed, right? You're going to factor in your mortgage pay down and your appreciation if, if you want to look at that when you're analyzing a property. So that would kind of be your really apples, I think. So I like that one. That's kind of, you know, you, I almost go down the line, right? Your quick analyzation of like, all right, cap rate, this is what it would be. Then you kind of go, okay, let's run the numbers. and You look at cash on cash and then return on investment. Those are, you know, my top three I do look at payback period, but I'm not, it's just something that kind of in the back of my mind of how long will it take to get my investment back based on cash flow this property generates, right? Or what's another one I like? Sometimes I use net present value, but it gets, that one's a very tricky. I've used that, actually I just used that recently on my commercial property. We had a tenant, a potential tenant who wanted to do, to rent it, but renovations needed to be done. So I had to basically analyze, was it worth me spending forty-five thousand dollars to get the unit because it was a very distressed unit ready for them to rent based on the rent that they were offering and it wasn't so i had to counter back at a higher rent and actually i'm just in the process of waiting to see if they're going to accept it so so that one i I don't use often but in this situation it was something that i had to kind of really look at because it, it was commercials it's there's not a lot of comparables right when you're leasing units so it was difficult to really analyze it and say should I do this or not like I first I thought the rent they were offering was awesome but it turned out no it wasn't so yeah that's kind of like you said more experienced investors when you start to do projects like that you're going to look at you need to look at those types of things to really justify your investment into something like that right
1: yeah, absolutely. And on another one I can think of, and you mentioned commercial, but I'm thinking multifamily is NOI. Yes. So are you able to explain NOI?
0: Yeah. So I mean, net operating income is really like your, your bottom line, really, right? So kind of after, you know, you get your gross income, the rent that they're paying you less your your expenses. And I always look, I always factor in the mortgage payment if there's gonna be a mortgage, right? So that's kind of the net operating income, what's left over really, right? Or is that cash flow? I'm, I'm mixing them up now. You're
1: So so to me, so when, when you're looking at multifamily properties, I mean, like, and you know, you've got, you've got a few, the calculations become so much more critical and NOI. And the reason I mentioned NOI is when you look at the financials from somebody that's selling a multifamily, they'll often like really make the maintenance costs like really low for the last year. They will like not even factor in like, vacancy. No, they
0: don't.
1: <laughs> and operating income calculates, like one of the things that you use when you calculate commercial multifamily properties, and one of the things I, I want to point out is oftentimes it's a lot higher than it really is because the seller isn't actually factoring in everything that you're going to want to factor in.
0: Right. Actually, you did raise a very good point there. And it's the realtors as well, too, that kind of fluff those numbers. And I've worked with realtors who've sent over the numbers, like you said, and they're, you're right, they they won't, they'll use maybe the local vacancy rate or low maintenance costs. that's something why I think everyone should always run their own numbers or you just can't trust what you're given to really analyze to make sure, yeah, this is what the property is going to make you, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if there's anybody listening and be like, hey, where do I calculate this? How do I calculate it? I'm actually horrible at math, horrible. Like I will be okay. there but there's an app on my phone if you guys have an iPhone. <laughs> it's called Evaluator. And it's oh, really? app. literally, you just plug in your numbers. You just need to know what numbers to plug in and you need to make sure that you're your expenses that you're plugging in are actually expenses that you should be putting down. Like if the seller or the realtor didn't put them all, but once you calculate the numbers, it actually spits out the NOI. It spits out the cash on cash return. It like, it actually gives you all of that stuff. So it does a lot of the work for you. So you don't need any like fancy spreadsheets. It's literally from your phone and it can take you five minutes to do. So it's called evaluator and you can download it for free on the app store.
0: That's a good one. Okay. Yeah. I kind of go back to your point with figure out net operating income. Maybe you've had this experience in the past. You almost want to confirm the expenses too, right? So I have property where they were missing a whole NWIN, which is the electricity bill, a whole meter when they sent over the numbers. So when That's we not bought-
1: uncommon. That's the sad part.
0: <laughs> I know. So when we bought the property and it was a partner and I, and we found out there was another meter that we, you know, three hundred dollars that was somehow missed when when we bought the property. So this was, I was still learning the yeah. the game when I bought this. But it's just kind of to people listening, do your due diligence, get as much information as possible. You're gonna probably aggravate your realtor, but they're not putting the money down. You're the one buying the property. You're the one taking the risk. And if they're going to give you a hard time, because I've had a realtor give me a hard time because I was requesting information. Yeah. Get another realtor.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but why that's actually really important is because when it comes to residential real estate, it's comparables, right? But when it comes right. to commercial real estate, so five minutes above or multi mixed use or any of that. It's so important because that actually determines the value of the property. So it doesn't matter if the 10plex down the street sold for a million dollars more and yours is, or less rather, or whatever, either way, and yours is a million dollars more or less, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do everything about the NOI and the calculations and the cap rates. And that's how banks, that's how lenders will assess how much that property is worth. And in order to make money out of that commercial property, you've got to either decrease the expenses or you got to increase your NOI. And that actually, based on the cap rate, appreciates the property. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong or feel free to add anything there.
0: Yeah, you know I'm gonna add it. I'm gonna add an experience of mine of why the numbers matter when you're buying multi-units because I think I mentioned that I was gonna tell you about my terrible experience <laughs> of buying a multi-unit property where I was thinking the comparables would matter in the area, but it all came down to the numbers. So here I was investing in a, a duplex, and I, I renovated the heck out of it to, turn, to basically flip it. However, there was an existing tenant in there paying very low rents, and as, which affected the cash on cash return, which affected the cap rate that investors were looking at. And the most I would have been able to get would I would have took a huge loss if I would have tried to sell it. And it's because the investors were looking at the rents that this property was generating and barely, and for what I was trying to sell it at, they, they were basically laughing at me. So based on, I think, let's say on the rental income that I was getting, that net operating, I was net operating income I was getting NOI, it was worth 200 grand, let's say based on I'm investor looking at with uh, using a seven cap rate right like a comparable property just down the street was selling for 300 grand but it just it was because the numbers were, were higher so that was a huge learning experience. I ended up having to hold that property, and I still have it. But yeah, that was something that I, I didn't anticipate uh, when you're buying multi-family. Like I, I just assumed uh, it was kind of similar in terms of well, the property next door just sold for 300. Like, why wouldn't this? And no matter how much I could tell investors, well, potential rents, yeah, this will be worth more. They just didn't see the value in it at that time. So.
1: And that matters even more so once you get into the commercial multifamily, like the five unit, six unit, seven unit. Like, yes. uh, you're lucky it was just a duplex.
0: <laughs> it, it was, but it, it's it's still the mindset of everyone. It comes down to the numbers. It, yeah, like I know, and the bigger they are, the yeah, you're right. It's funny, and I'm all about the numbers too. But it was a learning experience. Probably, <laughs> I would love to have taken that one back. So
1: you know what I find funny sometimes is investors will have like a duplex or a triplex and. They're like, yeah, the tenants are paying this and the tenants would like to stay and they make it seem like it's like a positive thing. And I look at it and I'm like, no. if they left, I can make like $400 a month more. I'm like, I don't yes. know if I'm actually there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So it's funny how some people think that like, making sure that you have the tenants that stay there for 10 years is the best thing. Usually I want my tenants to be, like have a goal of buying a house of their own in two to five years. If someone's like, this is gonna be my lifelong dream of living here forever. I'm like, yeah, probably not. <laughs> no.
0: Especially with, obviously, the tenant laws, like, you can only increase the rents.
1: That's exactly the problem. So
0: much. It's unfortunate from a owner-landlord's perspective that we're obviously biased, but...
1: Yeah, absolutely. So by the time that this will air, it's going to be close to tax time or tax time, depending on those that are early or okay. not. and. As an investor, I mean, you've got a ton of properties. Give us some tips and tricks. Other than math, I'm, I hate, I shouldn't say I hate yeah. I'm Just I'm not very good at like paperwork stuff. Right. Organization when it comes to paperwork and that kind of stuff. and. I think you're probably, it sounds like you're more organized than I am.
0: <laughs> I, I love Excel, okay. but those were things that no one showed me how to do. Maybe you're, you're going to think the same thing. When you start buying properties, I mean, you're just spending money, you're, you're fixing up a property, the income's coming into your bank account, but you're not tracking anything. I think it took two years to really kind of get <laughs> something in place, how to really track really every penny that's spent. So And that was just working with accountants what they need. Right. So what I really do is I have a folder and every week I basically print out my bills and I pay, pay them. And then they go into a record folder. And then every week I'll just, I'll record those in a spreadsheet. So I have a spreadsheet that itemized every expense. So I have at the top, my income for that, for a property and it just goes down. I so said it was income, mortgage, electric bill, gas bill. What would be next? Hot water tank is an expense So I basically just kind of itemized everything and then I'll just input all those and that's kind of how I would track to make sure if my properties are making money. So now come tax time. Well, right now I have a bookkeeper, but in the past I would basically have to just kind of give them that spreadsheet and all the expenses and how and work with them to kind of really make sense of it all. It is confusing. I wish I had a simpler way to explain it, (laughs) but it's kind of really what works for, for people. So, my mom, she owns some properties and she showed me some of her spreadsheets and she and they're like I don't get them at all. Like they're just they're for her, right? So I guess for a new investor, someone looking to invest, I would say just really itemize every expense that you incur for the property and then come tax time. At least you have it there for like and break it out, break it out by each month and then work with your accountant. Okay, like how do you how can I give this to you? Here's my income, here's my expenses. And then they're going to ask for mortgage statements and that should be enough to really get the ball rolling for them to kind of file a tax return. Now, you're doing your own tax return i've never done one so i can't help you there
1: <laughs> if you've got property my recommendation is don't do it on your own because you've got opportunities that you may not even be aware of that a good accountant that's real estate specific or ideally an investor themselves will be able to help you with how you've mentioned work with your accountant to see what they want i think that's the key piece here is before you go ahead and, and file your taxes meet with your accountant prior to that maybe it's the year prior and work with them and figure out what they need and then get a bookkeeper if, if you think it's worth doing. And I would say, do it a little bit at a time. I've been guilty of like waiting until, I don't know, like the very last like week oh, or yeah. anything, and <laughs> kind of figure out, I, I ended up hiring one of my friends. I'm like, can you just sort all my paperwork? I'll like give you lots of chocolate.
0: <laughs> oh yeah. I've, I did that. I've done that. I've learned though. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I, I've learned since then, but yes. um, I find that like if you kind of just go along and you do it as it happens and make sure that you file it by property, that you have everything, like every single house needs to have its own section. and Basically, um, yeah. Yeah. And you know what? One thing that I I would say is there are things that as an investor I love and there are things that I don't love as much. That's one of the things that I don't love as much. but. I hire
0: hire it out so yeah I got a bookkeeper a couple years ago and I had to work with them just to really kind of make it easy for them and then when you're flipping properties really just I just record everything as well just the same idea right because the accountants are going to need that to justify okay would you what was spent so they can calculate profit right so things I didn't know how to do when I first started investing and I wish someone would have kind of just gave me a little layout of like okay this is what you need to do because you know you're not taught that at all you're only taught how to buy a property, where to buy a property, and is it going to make you a good return, but not really how to run a business, right?
1: Absolutely. And if you're going to flip, you're going to want to talk to somebody before because incorporating may make sense depending on what you flip, how often you flip. right your own situation. Like for me, I wouldn't want that to hit any of my personal stuff. So it's one of those things just plan ahead of time. On a side note, you mentioned one of the the line items and everybody does it differently, but you mentioned hot water tanks and paying rent for those. And here's my thoughts on that is I called Reliance. Like when I was first starting to invest and I know we have to wrap up soon (laughs) because we're almost at the hour mark here. But when I called Reliance, they wouldn't allow the tenant to put it in their own name. So I'm like, you know what? Screw you guys. I'm going to take every single water tank out and I'm going to buy my own. And and I found a guy that was able to do it for like a thousand bucks, like all in, like pretty much new water tank installed and everything. And I'm like, if I pay $30 a month and I even hold it for like two and a half, three years, like at the end of the day, I'm not calling somebody to come and fix this every year or every two or every three years. Like I don't, I barely have any issues with my water tanks. I'm like, why would I rent? And so anyways, nothing against this Reliance company, but personally for me, as soon as I acquire something else and it's a rental and like Reliance is out. <laughs> yeah,
0: you're, you're right. And obviously and it, it helps when you, if you have to sell the property, right? Because that's an expense that gets tacked on that lowers your income.
1: And especially for any commercial types of properties, like multifamily, this is like a quick, easy way to like reduce 30 bucks off. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, look at the value that adds on a commercial property just by reducing that cost is huge. Yeah. And commercial hot water tanks are are a lot more too, right? So right.
1: Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. You're right. But Yeah, no, it's I just wanted to mention that as uh, as you were going through all those line items. Awesome. So, uh, next part of this podcast is the lightning round. So, everybody gets the same questions and let me know your first answer. You ready? Okay. All right, yeah. question number one, what is your favorite real estate investing book ever?
0: Jeez, probably Fix and Flip was probably the one that really, and I they, I can't remember the author now. Okay. Green, green cover, and I have it, that one really just kind of, yeah, always just opened my eyes up to the industry, so.
1: Awesome. Well, if you find the author, send me a message, I'll add it to the show. Gary post.
0: Keller? I think it's Gary Keller. Oh, I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah, and he, he's got a, a bunch, I read them all, Buy and Hold, Fix and Flip, those two are really I'd recommend those to anybody.
1: Oh, is the whole one the yellow one?
0: I think it's blue.
1: Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe not. Okay.
0: <laughs> okay. I, I may know
1: what you're talking about. If I do, I'll put it in the show notes. <laughs> not okay. <this.
0: laughs> yeah.
1: Number two, what is your favorite podcast?
0: Your podcast? Right now, I'm on a Tom and Nick Karatz kick right now. I, they've, okay. they've got some good material, yes.
1: Yes, they do. Cool. Number three, what do you do for fun aside from real estate?
0: My wife and I love to travel. So anytime we can get away, that's basically us for fun. Other than I, I like to play hockey.
1: Okay. What's the last cool, awesome place you went to?
0: Last cool place was Seoul, South Korea. We went there in oh. the fall. Yeah. Nice.
1: So number four, if you lost all your money and your assets tomorrow, how would you start again?
0: Well oh, I'm biased answer would be still buy real estate. Yeah. I would buy real estate. I know that. <laughs>
1: Would you use like a joint venture partner?
0: Yeah. You know what? I was, I didn't know if you wanted a detailed answer, Sarah. So yeah. Oh, that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. So lost all my money. I would buy real estate, obviously by networking with people that, that know me, that, that have seen my success in investing in real estate. That's how I would do it.
1: Okay. All right. Awesome. And last question. Number five, if somebody has $50,000 and they want to get started, how should they spend it?
0: I always recommend buying a nice turnkey single-family home. Simple, it's easy to get into, not as expensive as people are all about the big commercial multi-families. It's just nice and easy if you've never invested in real estate, right? Start small, small headaches, and then learn the industry, learn the business, and then expand.
1: Yeah, there you go. Just buy something to get. (laughs) Pretty much. Awesome. So where can listeners find you if they wanted to reach out?
0: My website probably, it's called tiesouleducator.com. So that's probably the easiest way. I've got a lot of, that's where all my blogs are, all my YouTube videos. You can watch on there as well. I've got a lot of resources, free resources there for people to learn how to invest in real estate. So that's, that's where they can go to learn about investing.
1: Okay. All right. Any final words of advice? Anything else you'd like to let the listeners know?
0: Yeah, time management is obviously the biggest thing I found when you start investing in real estate. That's something that people struggle with. If you can learn how to manage your time better, that's how a lot of people can start investing in real estate because a lot of people have full-time jobs. So if you can manage your time better just by maybe setting a calendar for the week for, for each day of setting aside a couple hours a day to learn or to work on your your portfolio it gets easier over time but that's a habit that not that people you need to build into yourself right you need to learn and that's something that i've stressed all the time to myself and even to my wife like time management is key down to sometimes multitasking eating and just doing different things and, and trying to save time so that's my advice to people if they can learn that skill that'll help them tremendously
1: Awesome, amazing. Well, thank you very much, Tyler, for being on the show. Thanks for your insights and great job by wiring in with the Windsor market.
0: Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Sarah. Really appreciate it. This was this was a lot of fun. I really love talking real estate.
1: Awesome. Hey guys, before you go, I wanted to ask you a question. What's stopping you from starting or growing your own real estate investment portfolio? I know for me, before I started, I had plenty of reasons, and at the time, they all seemed very valid, but As I started my journey, these reasons slowly fell away, and eventually, only one reason remained, what was actually stopping me was having a proven actionable repeatable system i didn't have that and the way that was going to change was by investing in myself learning listening and looking for ways that work and also most importantly discovering what didn't and not making those mistakes again fast forward to today i now have a proven repeatable series of action steps that has enabled me to build my seven figure portfolio consisting of multiple homes, and I'm able to manage that in two to three hours a month. Is that something that you would want? Well, I've actually taken all the knowledge I've accumulated and put that into a comprehensive, step-by-step online program. It's called Rise, and it's a program that will help you from where you are now to where you wanna be faster